right. Well, welcome to the morning session. Uh, my name is Kaylin Burke, and it's an honor to have you here in our house, especially all the guests and, and all the ladies who are, who are from here and at NCF. I'm very excited about our city. I'm very excited about this house in Oklahoma. I know that uh, we are going to host sustained revival here. We're going to do that. That is, that's burning in me, that, and I continue to declare that. I, I feel like that we're going to do that here, and I, um, I believe that every single one of us carry revival inside of us. So, okay, so we're talking about freedom. All right, let's pray really quick. Are you guys ready to receive the word this morning? You believe God's going to talk to you? You believe he has a word specifically designed for your heart this morning? All right. All right, Holy Spirit, we invite you here, God. We invite you, the perfect teacher, God, the creator who made all the intricacies of creation and designed every delicate fabric of who we are. God, we invite you here to deliver the perfect word that you have designed for today. God, we just invite you. We are an expectation, God, for your freedom. And I just declare that as I speak your truth, I'm going to release the power in which you originally said it, God. That you spoke it from your throne. You are the living word. And as I speak your truth, I will release healing and release power. As we declare your truth, God, we can release who you are into the atmosphere. In Jesus' name. All right. Here we go. So we're talking about freedom, right? It's who I am. Lisa did an awesome job yesterday uh, talking about freedom. She did some freedom from fear. She did some awesome freedom stuff. Um, so uh, a lot of times when we think about freedom, we think about freedom from something, right? We think about freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from pain and sickness and torment. We just prayed for freedom from depression. Right? But I felt like God put on my heart to deliver to you this morning a different kind of freedom. And that's the freedom to be. Okay? So we're going to talk about freedom to be. Freedom to be who you are. Freedom to be a daughter. Freedom to be fully who God called you to be. Does that sound good? All right. Everybody geared up. So this morning I want to commission you into freedom. And I want to commission you through this message to be free to be who you are. You are intricately designed, and you are free to be exactly what he made you to be. Okay, um, I was actually, I was texting with Shannon, you know, getting ready for the conference and stuff, and we were kind of talking about this freedom to be thing, and um, so we want to take the freedom to be who you are into the do, take your freedom of your who into the do of your everyday, of what you're called to. So you may be called to be a business owner. But God only wants you to do that being fully who you are. You know, that he doesn't want you to do it. You, you can look at a business owner and, and have this picture of what a business owner should be. Oh, thank you. And, um, and you can strive to attain that. And you can definitely learn from that. You can receive wisdom from, from other people who are doing it. But ultimately, God has designed you to be a business owner like as you are. Right? You know, like, like Lisa is a leader. You know, but she's not going to lead, you know, like Candy would lead. Right, that the God has intricately designed her to lead as Lisa. And so I just want to commission every single one of you this morning to be fully free to be who you are, to do the things that you're called to do as you. You know, that that's, that's God's intention and his design for your life, okay? All right, I'm going to pull a Greg. I'm going to put my gum right here, don't me. Forget about it. 
<laughs> it does, it like dissolves in your mouth as <laughs> you're talking. Okay. Okay, so um, God's generational kingdom is about cultivation, not replication. Okay, God's generational kingdom is about cultivation, not replication. So spiritual mothers and fathers will sow into the generations growing up under them, cultivating, tending, and training them up. But the goal is not to replicate their person, but rather to release the unique treasure that is crafted into each individual. So we must keep them on course while they grow into divine destiny, building upon each other's breakthrough and rooted in a firm foundation of the word of God. So... So we don't need the next Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is awesome. Man, I love her. I've listened to so much of her teaching. She's awesome. But we don't need the next Joyce Meyer. We need the next Amy Munoz. Woo! This girl's awesome. Little fireball. I love Amy. Okay. So we, and we don't need the next Christine Kane. Christine Kane is awesome. She's anointed to bring freedom from slavery. We don't need the next Christine Kane. We need the next, what's your name? Michelle Holt. We need the next Michelle Holt. To rise up into who you are. God created you for divine destiny. We need, we need the next Michelle. All right? Definitely. So you guys, yeah, do you get that? Awesome. Okay. So we need you to be fully you. But without receiving freedom in your who, and who you are, you will not accomplish the fullness of your do. Right? Without receiving f- your complete freedom to do the thing you're called to as yourself. You're not going to accomplish the fullness of the thing that you're called to do, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so how do I become free to be fully myself? You're like, yes, amen, I want that. How does that happen? Well, what I really feel like this message, what I want to do is I want to invite you into a process. This message, you know, it's going to be awesome, and you're going to receive revelation, but ultimately the change is going to happen through your process. It's going to happen through you uh, walking with the Lord through uh, healing. You know, it's going to include, um, number one, absolutely an intentional growing relationship with Jesus as he walks you through um, heart healing, forgiveness, repentance from the past, deliverance, prayer, and spiritual freedom. We're going to have an awesome breakout session. I want to invite all of you to come, you know, this afternoon to, to get that freedom and spiritual freedom. It's going to be a lifestyle of worship and the transforming power of the word. So... So it's a walk of freedom in intimate surrender and trust in the Lord. And, and you are so unique. And God, you know, he created the expanse of the universe. And he also created every intricate, intimate detail of creation. And that same God who created the expanse and the details designed you. And he's the same God that says, I delight in every detail of your life. Isn't that awesome? That is just so amazing to me. But, but that same God, he delights in every detail of your life, and he, he has a, a special process for you, for your healing. And, you know, our lives are just process upon process, that, that transforming to become more and more like Jesus, you know. And so as you submit your heart to him and, and walk through the word and, and walk through this healing process, you're going to, the, the who of, of who you are is going to come more and more to the surface. You'll, you'll come stronger and stronger back to the original design he has for you. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, and you can trust him in the process. Right? Um, I love this. Psalms uh, 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. All right, so um, we can trust him. And it's so, so worth it to choose him. 
it's so worth it to choose the process. Um, you know, process doesn't always feel good. It can be straight up painful. But, but ultimately, you can believe that God is molding a great person. Do you, you guys kind of understand what I'm saying when I talk about process? Does that make sense, buddy? You nod. It's not really. Okay. So, um, so for example, you know, uh, one of the big things God walked me through was healing from jealousy. I think I even talked about this last year. But that, that came with a process. A lot of times, you know, something will kind of come to the surface, and you're like, wow, this is really a problem. <laughs> and then it's like he highlights it, you know? And then it just kind of builds and builds and builds until it almost pops all over, which is kind of gross. But, um, but before, if you can get to it before it pops, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, but and, and so... The, so obviously the first step is realizing that there is an issue, you know, and so, but just coming to the Lord. And so what I, I did, you know, I got with, uh, Mel helped me through this. She's awesome. She helped me with accountability. Okay, I'm, I've got to step through this process of healing, and it's going to include a lot of the word. You know, a lot of my healing came just in my relationship with the word. Did you know you can have a relationship with the word? <laughs> it's so awesome. You know, God wants to reveal himself to you through the word. And as you get in the Bible, which is the absolute truth, that he wants to reveal the character of his person to you. And, and he, can, um, he knows exactly what you need, exactly what your heart needs. I was just amazed over and over again. I would be reading through and just like it would just pop out at me the exact thing that I needed. Something like, um, I will never reject you. You know, or something like that. And it's just God's promise to me that was exactly what my heart needed. The exact healing my heart needed in that moment of process. So you can trust him for that. And ultimately, he is perfect and good. Okay. Uh, okay, so in the midst of this process to be fully you, there's a few things that I want to highlight. So we're talking about freedom to be, right? So the first freedom to be that I want to talk about is freedom to be significant. Okay? And so uh, to start out with that, I want to talk about Abraham for just a sec. And we all know the story. Um, Abraham was uh, God called him to be the father of many nations, right? And uh, he did the Ishmael thing, and then he had Isaac, right? And so Isaac was the the son of promise through Abraham's seed, through whom Abraham was going to become that father of many nations, right? Well, then God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. We all know that story, right? And so you can imagine, Abraham had like no idea why God would be asking him to do this. Like this makes zero sense to my mind right now. <laughs> it's like I, I can't reason this. I don't know what it is, but God, I trust you. Isn't that's just awesome? And you know, Abraham had a process too. If you read about Abraham's life, you know, he made some mistakes and everything, but ultimately he trusted, and um, he made it into the the faith hall of fame. You know, for, for his faith. But anyways, so in in this moment of Abraham's. Zero understanding of why, but choosing to obey God and to choosing to give his son, God had legal right to be able to bring Jesus, which meant salvation for all of mankind. So Abraham's obedience affected all of mankind. Is that not intense? That he, his, Abraham's decision obey God, even in that moment he didn't understand, but to trust God's goodness, to trust that God could raise the dead, you know, that meant salvation for all of mankind. So in light of that, man, consider your calling. Consider the power of your obedience. 
even in the moments that you don't understand. Does that make sense? Man, that's, I don't want to scare you or anything, but just like, <laughs> just to like think of that, you know, in light of the decisions that you're making, that, that your choices for obedience affect generations. You know, it affects you and your family and the people in your influence, and, you know, God can just multiply that and multiply it. Okay, so, so your obedience is significant, right? We're talking about free to be significant. Okay, so I have a question for you. You know, you look in the Bible, and there's so many stories of significance, right? Like, all the people that God highlights in the Bible are significant. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So let me ask you this. Why would God fill his word with, with stories that inspire significance if he's not called each one of us to that same level of significance? Right? Absolutely. He wants to inspire us to significance. But the cool thing is that these significant people, one of the most significant ones that probably everyone in most of the world knows was a mom. Mary. <laughs> Mary was called to be a mom. And, and she was, man, significance to the max. You know? So these people are moms. They are... Um, you know, tax collectors, shepherds, kings, doctors, fishermen, rednecks, straight up rednecks, and, and uh, crazy guys who lived in the wilderness and ate honey. You know? <laughs> but God considered them significant, right? So, but, but the, the thing to get here is that what God calls significant is based on an eternal perspective. Right? And so, so one, one of the things that I also wanted to, to declare here is that we are igniting an eternal perspective in this room and in your lives. We are igniting an eternal perspective because that's God's perspective, right? And that's, the, that's the, the, the view that we want to be looking at everything through, okay? And so to, to have this eternal perspective, we have to make sure that we're serving the right system, okay? And so... Um, to talk about that, you know, a lot of times in church or whatever, we'll really kind of elevate, you know, worship leaders or the people who's up here talking or the prayer team or whatever. And, um, but I want to just like ask you to consider the system you're serving. Because I think part of the problem is we pretend like that's not a big deal. But the reality is, I'm going to blow you away, is that it is a big deal in the world system. Does that make sense? So in the world system... Money, fame, and visibility equal success, and they are higher callings in the world system, right? But will you choose to serve that system? Will you bring that culture into the church? We don't want that culture in the church. (laughs) We don't want the world's view of significance in the church. We want God's view of significance. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So remember, what God calls significant is based on an eternal perspective. So, so if you're wondering, well, I don't know, do I, um, do I view, what, well, you know, what system am I serving? Well, the proof of the system you are serving is found in the evidence of what you truly value. Okay, so, so look, just consider your hearts. And, and the world system values position. But God... Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Proof of the system you are serving is found in the evidence of what you truly value. Okay. So the world system values position. God's kingdom values person. 
Okay. All right. So let the Lord redefine significance in your heart because you are free to be truly and eternally significant. All right. Do each of you believe that? That you are called to be eternally significant? All right. So I just release that freedom to be significant in the name of Jesus. All right. Okay. So the next thing I want to talk about is freedom to be righteous. All right. We all know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? But I want to ask you, do you let yourself walk in that righteousness? Do you let yourself walk in that righteousness? So let's read um, John 19, 23 through 24. All right. Awesome. Grant's rocking it out. Okay. Um, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among them themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that's what they did. Okay. So these are the soldiers right before Jesus is crucified, right? Um, they take his clothes and they, they divide it from, and they cast lots for that, that special one that was seamless, okay? So, I want to ask you this question. Do you put on righteousness or do you cast lots for it? When you examine your heart response, what are you currently believing? Is perfect righteousness a garment that you are given, received, and put on? Or is it something that comes to you by chance, depending on how the dice fall that day? All right. For example, at one Sunday, do you come boldly up to the throne to worship? You know your righteousness that day. You absolutely know that you have perfect right standing with God through Jesus, so you can come and worship and give yourself fully. Then the next Sunday, maybe you messed up that week or something, you know. And you're just like not quite feeling it, whatever, you know, and you just kind of hold back. And you don't really give yourself in worship. Well, I would say that you might have been cast in lots for your righteousness that day and you didn't put it on. Okay, so let's let's look back at that verse on verse 23. It says Jesus's garment was seamless, woven from top to bottom. Okay, and I was thinking about that concept of top to bottom, and that, that rang a bell for me. <laughs> you know, have you, remember um, when Jesus uh, died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? Right? And so that, that, that curtain in the temple separated man from the most holy place. Right? It separated man um, from coming in, into the presence of God. Okay, but, but when Jesus died on the cross, it ripped from top to bottom, symbolizing God... Removing that barrier, God himself from top to bottom, from God to man, removing that barrier. Okay? And so, when we look back at this garment that was woven from top to bottom, right? Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so God himself wove a perfect, seamless garment of holiness and righteousness through the obedient, uh, obedience of Jesus. Okay, so the seamless garment that Jesus wore. Okay, Jesus accomplished right standing. Does everyone agree with that? Righteousness is right standing with God. Okay, so every decision of obedience that Jesus made was another stitch in that seamless garment. His life was perfect. From beginning to end, not a stitch of obedience was missed. It was seamless. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Man, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your revelation. 
Okay, because a seam is two separated edges that were brought together, right? There was no need to do that. Because every step Jesus took was a stitch in that seamless, perfect garment. God to man is accomplishing righteousness. Okay, so Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Hallelujah, Jesus accomplished it all. A seamless garment. Okay, in verse 24, um, back in, uh, let's see, where were we? One right before that, Grant. Um, the prophet, let's see, the prophet speaks as Jesus saying, they divided my garments among themselves. Okay, so that, so that garment of righteousness, that seamless garment, belongs to Jesus. Right? He wore it as Jesus' garment. And through relationship with him, he offers it to us. So we put on his righteousness. We put on the righteousness that belongs to him. So it is not based on my performance. It's based on relationship. With Jesus. All right, and there's several places in the Bible um, that righteousness is referred to as a garment or a breastplate that you put on or that you clothe yourself with. And I'm not going to read all these, I'm just going to give you the references if you want to write them down, okay? Um, it's Job 29:14 in the Amplified, Isaiah 59:17 in the Amplified, and Ephesians 6:14 in the New Living. Those were like my favorite versions, so. Um, uh, Job 29:14, Isaiah 59:17, and Ephesians 6:14. All right, so and a lot of times in the Bible, clothing represents authority or, or positions of authority. Okay, like in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15:22, uh, the father said to his servants, "Quick, put bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet." So the lost boy, the lost son's position as a son was restored by his father, and it was symbolized by putting on his robe. Okay, so also um, police officers, kings, and people of authority are often identified by their uniforms. So all that to say, something we put on. We're identified by God's righteousness, right? Because we put it on. Okay, um, Ephesians 4, through 24. You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on that new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so righteousness and holiness. Would anyone agree that Jesus' life was a life of righteousness and holiness? Absolutely, it was that seamless garment. It belongs to Jesus that we put on. Okay, Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. All right? I'm going to give you another reference. Romans 13, 12 through 14. It's another good one. Um, Colossians 3, 12. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So you have to clothe yourself. You have to choose to put it on. It's available to you. Absolutely available, but you have to choose to put it on. Okay, First Peter 3, 4. You should clothe yourselves, says that again, instead, of the be- instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Okay, so Jesus offers righteousness to you. Receive it, put it on, and keep it on. It is not by chance or by lot. It's by design 
for destiny. All right. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? Give me a swig of water real quick. I'm not used to talking this much. This is the longest string of words you'll ever hear me say. <laughs> you can ask my husband. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the third one. We're talking about freedom to be, right? We're talking about freedom to be fully you. We just talked about freedom to be righteous. What was the first one you guys remember? Significant, that's right. Okay. Uh, So next, freedom to be fully you. Let's really dive into this, okay? Freedom to be fully you. All right. So talking about Moses, that's been a theme, right? Moses and the children of Israel. Um, When Pharaoh released the children of Israel... They received freedom from slavery and bondage, but they still had to walk out a process of freedom to be. The true overflow of their hearts was revealed in their cries of, take us back to Egypt. We had it better there. But their redeemer had led them out of physical slavery, but by an act of their will, their hearts remained in bondage. Okay, so we have to, um, Jesus lived his life in complete freedom to be. Um, so in, in parallel here, so these people were in, in the desert. Okay, Jesus was also spent some time in the desert. And he survived his time of fasting in the desert by his freedom to be a son. And freedom to be the living word, right? When, when the devil came and tempted him, he responded right back, it is written, it is written. He, he, Jesus was free to be the word, and he declared it. Um, so his father provided, right? He didn't live on bread alone, but on every word his father spoke. In contrast, the Israelites still lived in bondage. Their provider was still Egypt in their hearts. Because when they faced hunger, they cried out to the hand that had fed them for 400 years, rather than to their redeemer. All right, does that make sense? Okay, still good? Okay, so in living free to be, no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down freely. His freedom to be fully himself, fully confident in who he was as the Son of God, gave him freedom to truly and willfully lay his life down. It came out of a confidence. He wasn't striving to achieve anything. He didn't have to prove that he was the Son of God. He lived his life in freedom to be that, because that's who he was. Freedom in his identity. Okay, uh, John 10, 17 through 18. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up, take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. So our theme is freedom. It's who I am, right? Jesus knew that he was the great I am. Right. I love that because it can go two ways. It's who I am, it's who Kalen is, freedom, and it's also who the great I am is. He is also freedom. And so Jesus knew he was the great I am, and I can prove it to you. Um, John 18, 4 through 6, in Gethsemane, um, when Judas leads the soldiers to b- betray Jesus, I love this story. <laughs> This is so awesome. Okay, so uh, Jesus, knowing that he was, what was going to happen to him, so the, the soldiers have approached him, right, with Judas, the betrayer. Okay, so Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus says, I am he. 
And Judas the, the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Are you kidding me, man? That's awesome. <laughs> this group of soldiers with swords who are angry and they're probably yelling and like they're on this mission, you know, this guy, this blasphemer, we're going to get him. They come, the accusers come. Jesus declares, I am he. He knows, he declares that out of revelation. He releases the power of that revelation that he has in his heart. I am he. I am the son of the I am. And when he declares that to his accusers, they step back and fall to the ground. Can you just picture that with me? You know, just like, can you hear the clatter of swords and clubs as they fall? And they're all like, what just happened, man? (laughs) That's just, I love that. But I I feel like that is a prophetic picture of what ultimately is going to happen. Because every knee will bow, including the knee of the accuser. It will bow to the great I am. I feel like that place in, in the garden was just a foretaste of that. Hallelujah. And guess what? We have the great I am living inside of us. Wow. Okay, that's that's good. All right, I jumped ahead of myself. Let me get my spots. So the living word, he spoke from complete solidity of identity and assurance of who he was, releasing the relevatory power of this truth. Okay. Jesus knew freedom was his identity, and knowing his true identity gave him true freedom. Okay, and now is this point that we're kind of been crescendoing to, okay? To be fully you requires something called taking up your cross. And walking in true freedom allows you to live your life in a way that you can willfully lay your life down and truly take up your cross. Okay, we're we're still talking about freedom. We're talking about freedom to be fully you. Okay, um, so in light of that, let's talk about taking up your cross. So, um, to take up your cross is something that most of us have heard, right? You know, I've heard that. It's always sort of been this abstract concept to me. It's like, I know I'm supposed to take up my cross, but what does that really look like? You know, practically, what am, what am I supposed to do? And um, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me something. I'd never seen this before. And so, I'm excited to share it with you. But, like, it's a different um, aspect of taking up your cross, Okay, you guys ready for that? Ready to hear something new? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay, um, so Matthew 16, 21 through 25. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things. This is important. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Okay, there's so much here we could talk about, and we're going to get into part of it. But first, um, 
The first thing I want to talk about is that this is in the context of Jesus, of Jesus telling his disciples that he would be suffered and killed. And, and Peter rebuked him. But Jesus says, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So, so as we look at this, I want you to consider God's perspective, right? We talked about an internal, eternal perspective, right? I want you to kind of keep that in your mind as we look at this, okay? That, that this is God's view. Okay. So in the very next verse, he goes on to say, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Luke 9.23 another version of it. It says, um, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Oh, it's also in Mark 8, 31 through 35. Verse 34 says, um, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we've got those three things that keep repeating themselves. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Okay? So, the cross. This is kind of, seems to be an important part of this. Okay, the cross. The cr- I want to propose to you that the cross that I take up daily is, is more than a punishment for a crime I committed or deserve. Because didn't Jesus take that up for me? Right? So it must be something different, right? It's, it's not a punishment that, that I have inflicted on myself by my, my own will or by my mistakes or something, right? Okay. And also, Jesus doesn't say be punished by a cross. He says to take it up. So if the cross he's talking about were intended as punishment, it would be your sentence and requirement. But to take it up infers a choice, an option, something you must do as an act of your will, it isn't forced upon you, though it is a command, you still must choose to obey. Okay, the Greek word for take up in Mark um, 8.34 means um, to take upon oneself and carry what has been raised up, to bear, to take away from another what is his or what is committed to him, uh, or to take by force. So to take up, like we just said, seems to imply a choice. So you must choose to take it up. In contrast, if it wasn't a choice, it would be put on you. Jesus didn't say, I've put a cross on you. He says, take it up. Okay. In the same way, Jesus was not obligated to offer his life. He chose to. John 10, 17 through 18. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father commanded. Okay, so this tells me that our daily cross, I want everyone to hear this, is not a punishment you deserve. Jesus already bore that cross for you. Rather, it is an act of selfless obedience in light of an eternal perspective and a choice to pay a price someone else cannot pay. You now have the authority and righteousness to do this. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go deeper here. We're going we're gonna to find out what this means. Okay, um, I, I've never seen this before. Okay, let's see. Uh, okay, so the deeper meaning of a cross here is to take on a price that's not yours to pay. To live your life in obedience to God so that you have the power to take on what someone else deserves. Not because you deserve punishment, but because you choose to take it up out of your position of righteousness. You already have right standing with the judge, right? 
So you have the authority to lay down your life as an act of your own will to be a sacrifice for someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did? He already had position with the judge, so he was able to lay his life down for someone else who couldn't pay that price for me and for you, right? Okay. Our acts of obedience to the Father are a bridge that leads people to the bridge, Jesus. So that others can walk across the chasm of eternal separation into eternal life and relationship with the Father, into their salvation, healing, and redemption. Hallelujah. So we follow after Jesus and become like him, and as we do, our acts of taking on what other people deserve will release the same power Jesus moved in that will raise the dead. Okay, so let's bring this concept into reality. Is everyone doing okay? I'm still good. Okay. Um, so I, I, uh, this really kind of came to light to me as I was living. <laughs> and uh, it was, let me just back up. Okay, so I, I did not date until I was 27. Okay? That's, in my view, that was a long time to wait. It's really not. <laughs> but... Um, I, when I gave my life to the Lord when I was 16, I think I shared this last year. Sorry about that, guys. But we're going to look at it differently, okay? Um, when I was, gave my life to the Lord at 16, I just, it was just in my heart. I decided I was not going to date in high school. So at 18, I would be available. Okay, that was just, you know, what I, my goal, what I wanted to do. So I made it through high school, made it to 18, and woo, I'm available. Um, but, but still submitted to the Lord. And I have... I, hundreds upon hundreds of times, I was with the Lord in worship, and I would pray for my future husband. I would pray, God, I just give this decision to you. I, I you know, I trust you with, with this part of my life. I really do. Um, I've walked through a lot of divorce stuff in my family, and I didn't want divorce. I, you know, <laughs> who does, right? But it was like, I'm choosing to walk with the Lord through this, because I know his, his way is perfect, right? And so I'm going to choose purity. I'm going, to, I'm going to choose God. God, I want you to be in control of this area of my life. I'm willing to wait for your timing. And it wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy. Um, I told some guys no. Some of them were easier than others. To tell no. It's like, no? What do you, no, go away. <laughs> but still, it was a, a decision that I walked out with the Lord. And so I really felt like I paid a price. You know, that, that costs something. To walk in purity costs something. It's because it's a, a decision. You've got stuff coming at you. You've got thoughts to deal with. You know, you've, you, you know, you know, right? Okay. Anyways, so I felt like I paid a price. Well, anyways, you know, I'm available at 18. You know, the excitement of that first year. Well, maybe I'm going to meet him. You know, I, I called him George Glass. Shannon came up with that. <laughs> It's a Brady Bunch reference. It was Jan's invisible boyfriend. So uh, I might have wrote a song to George Glass. <laughs> um, but anyways, so George Glass was in my heart. You know, it was, he was the one I was waiting for. And it was also in my heart that I didn't want to date. I didn't want to shop around, you know. I, wanted, I, I trusted God that he had the one man for me that I could date the man that I was destined to marry, that I, that I would choose to marry, right? Um, because I wanted to give myself fully to my husband. I, I didn't want to have parts of me off with other guys, you know, I, the one. Okay, and so I paid this price. Here we are, uh, 19, nobody, 
20, no body, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. And here I am, I'm good. Being single, it's still a desire of my heart to be married, right? Um, but still continuing to pay the price. And here we are, I meet Omid, the handsome man back there, the Persian. That is my husband. <laughs> Um, and all of a sudden, he, he had this huge beard. It was, it was a cool thing, though, because it was like he was doing this fast thing with the Lord. And as part of it, he wasn't shaving. And so this burly man was, like, interested in me. And I was like, hi, that's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> but the big thing was, is he had two kids. And, and he was divorced. And I was like, that could not be the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no way no way Jose because I have waited because I want to avoid divorce you know I don't want to deal with the stuff that comes along with that I don't want exes I don't want steps I don't want the pain and the baggage I have paid my price I'm not going to do that okay but to my surprise the Lord led me right into relationship with this amazing man back there okay we got married last November and i'm gonna get mushy for just a sec i love him so much more now than i did a year ago i really do he is such an amazing honorable man it's just like god did he saves the very best for those who wait he does the very best and uh but anyway so so this past year he has two daughters beautiful daughters they are eight and eleven and so, uh, when I got married, I not only got a husband, I got an Insta family. And here I am, singular bachelorette, living by myself for six years, going into child zone, you know, like, wee, it's so loud. <laughs> I didn't know they could make that much noise. <laughs> it was like, sorry, Christy, I don't do a children's church. I, I can do youth. I can actually connect with youth, you know, but kids are just like, you're sticky. You know, if... It's like, what is that, a crouton in your eyeball? It's like, flick that out. It's gross, man. And I like... Don't do kids, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that anymore. I said I don't, you know, kids, no. Okay, so, so here I am. The Lord, my obedience to the Lord led me right smack dab into this very situation that I didn't want to be in. I, oh my gosh, and especially calling it a stepmom, just, you know, because of past woundings and stuff. I do want to say I am absolutely so thankful for the ladies now that we're in that role. And I still have a good relationship with them. And I, I can't imagine it any other way now. But there was still, the circumstances it happened under created some um, bad connotations in my heart about being a stepmom. And the, the, the main thing was I didn't want to be that source of pain to these little girls. And um, because that was just, when the role was switched, you know, that was, I experienced that pain. And so I, I didn't, oh my gosh, I did not want to be that source of pain to them. And so... So the, um, the first few months was really, really hard. Really, really hard. Really, really, really hard. <laughs> um, because not only was it a new thing, it was bringing up all this old stuff. And um, because I was in this uh, position, it, it was just like reminding me of all these memories and stuff. And the, the main thing 
that really bothered me for a long time was that why am I paying this price again? It's because, you know, I waited. I waited and I obeyed the Lord. Why? And it felt like I was paying a price that a me didn't pay. Does that make sense? I'm just being real. Okay. I'm just being really real with you guys. Um, and, and also, you know, there's the X thing and, and all of that. And it's like, why am I having to pay this price? And I, I kind of hit this really this point one night. And uh, I was really angry. And I went, it was uh, night, everyone was in bed. And I just, I got up and went into our laundry room. And I just went boldly before the Lord and just bared my heart before him, you know. I was like, God, why would you do this to me? And um, let's see, I wanted to, to get this one thing right. Um, oh, this is not my problem. That was one of the main things. This is not my problem. I did everything right and I sacrificed to do so. So why, am, why do I have to pay this price? But now I'm paying it for someone else. And I was obedient and waited so I wouldn't have the troubles of divorce. But I'm having to deal with the effects of someone else's decisions. And so there in my laundry room, um, after God is so patient with us. You know, read the Psalms, man. David did that. He, he went boldly before the Lord and he was like, this is the real. <laughs> and, but you know what? God always brought truth. He always turned it around to the truth. And so God did the same for me in my laundry room. And, and just in a moment, I realized the eternal perspective of, of this situation, okay? Number one, I, we made it to our wedding night. I had never kissed a man before. And we stood up on that stage, and that was my first kiss ever. I got to give that to Amid. That was something that was precious to me, and God had put that in my heart. And, you know, besides showing the honor of that man back there to save that, because I know he chose to do that. He chose to honor me, and ultimately he chose to honor God, you know, by not taking that from me before I was ready. I got to give him my first kiss. He's the only man I've been with. And so I feel like I was got to, God presented him with a pure bride. Not say anything about me, just but that God and his grace would do that in my life. And as I stood there, I realized the eternal perspective of that. That God had so redeemed me and my husband that he wanted to present him with a pure bride. That he saw him completely erased of his past. The cross can do that. You know, there is, you know, the X and the, all the junk and the baggage was erased by the cross because of his decision to walk with the Lord in his new life. And our God is so faithful that he just wants to do that. That he wanted to, he said, oh me and I have so completely healed you. I consider you worthy of a pure bride. So that was the first thing. Um, and man, in light of that, that is so humbling and such an honor that, that God would use me in that way. That my obedience, it wasn't just for me. It wasn't a trophy of purity for me. It was healing someone else. It meant healing. My obedience, the paying that price... For those years, all the way to 27, that was, that was for his healing. God used my obedience to bless someone else. 
And also, so here I am with two stepdaughters. And I've, I've had two other women in my life who've been stepmoms. So I can totally see that I can go into this relationship knowing I know exactly how you feel. I've been there a couple times. You know, and so I can, I can be in this role of influence to these little girls as a godly woman, as, as someone who can invest in their life, and I can, I can identify and pull out the treasure in them from that place. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Okay. Okay, so just to go back to that verse, you know, when Jesus, he was saying, um, you guys still okay? Okay, if I keep going a little bit, we're, we're getting pretty close. Um, so Jesus, he was telling, it said he was telling openly to his disciples, okay, I'm, um, I'm going to be tortured, basically, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead, right? And Peter, in his zeal, was like, he rebuked the Lord. And I, I can just feel his anger, you know, like, that's not going to happen to you. Because he was friends with Jesus, you know. He didn't want to see that happen. And, um, and just to parallel, that was kind of my anger in the laundry room, right? It was like, this is an injustice. What is going on here? But what did Jesus answer? He said, you are seeing things from, merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Okay, so that was the thing there. Because in verse 23, Jesus, um, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So God's perspective is always eternal. Okay? When I, um, let's see, I already said that. And also remember, our obedience is significant, right? We talked about Abraham. His obedience um, to God in that moment, he didn't understand was so significant to all of mankind, right? Okay, so our obedience is significant. Um, and remember the three parts back in Mark eight thirty four. Verse 34 says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him one, deny himself, two, take up his cross, and three, follow me. Okay, so we're going to kind of look at this. Um, the first step was to deny myself or to turn from my selfish ways. Um, and that's, so the first step in that is going to be realizing an eternal perspective. You know, that's what the Lord did in my heart when I realized, oh my goodness, this is so much deeper than me. This is so much deeper than something I could attain. Um, it's, it's eternal, and it, my obedience affects other people. Okay, so Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, imitate God therefore in everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He loved us, and so he offered himself. Okay, so that tells me that denying yourself and offering yourself has to be motivated by love. Okay, so just an important note, because when we think of denying yourself, we can get some weird ideas. So don't fall for a counterfeit definition of denying yourself. The religious counterfeit denies self by viewing yourself as scum that's unworthy of anything good. (laughs) Or by inflicting unnecessary punishment to prove that in your miserable state you are efficiently denying yourself. Okay, that is not what Jesus did. (laughs) 
That is not how he denied himself. In contrast, Jesus' denying himself was a full conscious decision motivated by love and accomplished by his confidence in his identity, his authority, and his relationship with the Father. It came out of his freedom to be who he was. Does that make sense? So this must all come out of relationship. Everything we're talking about must come out of relationship. Um, So just another practical example um, that I noticed about taking up your cross was um, when I see people um, like fostering kids or who've adopted kids or stuff, and they, these people have lived their lives in a way that they are in a place to be able to do that, right? If they had made bad decisions, they wouldn't be able to take care of these kids, right? Does that make sense? And, but, you know, they're paying this price that, that the parents couldn't pay, whether by selfishness or by um, just circumstance, right? But, but the, uh, the foster parents are paying a price because they position themselves through obedience to God. They are able to pay a price that someone else can't pay. And so, when you live your life in an honorable way before the Lord, you're setting a foundation so you have the ability to pay someone else's price. Um, and again, at first I felt angry when this was happening, because I was like, they don't deserve that, you know? They, they, um, that's not their price to pay. But again, like Peter, um, when we, we feel the injustice, because we're only mindful of the things of men. But when we're mindful of the things of God, we have an internal perspective, and we see the value in this powerful sacrifice. Powerful sacrifice. Okay, James 127. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the word for orphans here means um, bereft of father and of parents or of those bereft of a teacher, guide, guardian, or orphaned. And I had to look up bereft too. Um, I wasn't sure what that meant. Um, That means deprived of or lacking something. Deprived of, robbed of, stripped of, devoid of, or bankrupt of. So I believe an orphan is so much more than someone lacking parents. Okay, they are anyone who lacks a teacher, a guide, a guardian, or maybe they lack the teacher, the Holy Spirit. Or maybe they're spiritual orphans who need the Father God. So you can take up your cross, paying a price the orphan owed, so the orphan in their distress can come to the Father through Jesus, who paid the full and ultimate price for their life. Does that make sense? So you can choose to take up your cross and pay that price. Become that bridge that leads them to the bridge, who is Jesus. Okay. So maintaining an eternal perspective is spirit, right? We are spirit first. We have a soul. We live in a body. Okay, so our soul usually doesn't want to deny self. Um, And it doesn't want to pay a price we don't owe. Right? But even Jesus had the soul-spirit struggle in the garden when he sweat drops of blood. Um... I think a lot of that was he didn't want to be separated from the Father. Just like the revelation of that was just intense. Um, but, but his emotions, Jesus' emotions were intense, but he didn't let them rule his decisions, actions, or attitude. So, so sometimes um, we have to make a decision with our spirit that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up this cross because I'm able to, um, even though I don't feel like it, even though it's really hard. I'm going to pick up this cross. Um, so Romans 15, 1 through 7 in the Passion Translation um, says, Now those who are mature, and the, the word for mature in the Aramaic is actually powerful. Okay? So those who are powerful in their faith can easily be recognized, for they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. 
Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. For not even the most powerful one of all, the anointed one, lived to please himself. So let's ignite an eternal perspective. It's God's perspective. Um, Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So what's ahead? Eternity. Eternity is always forward. So look forward to what lies ahead. Um, Press on to finish the race and recover... the the heavenly eternal price which God through Christ is calling. Okay, so an eternal perspective and taking up your cross is required to have freedom to be fully you. Okay, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 tells us why. Since then, when you have raised, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, so your life, who you are, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, he is your life, when he appears, as you become more and more like him, right? As you're transformed in the process by the renewing of your mind, as you choose obedience and take up your cross, as you gaze intently into the mirror of the perfect law that brings freedom, and you see who you really are, as you grasp a firm hold on your true identity in Christ, you will begin to look more like Jesus. And you're transformed into his likeness, and Christ is appearing in you. And as Christ appears in you, who you are will also appear. You will be returned to your divine destiny of of who God created you to be is hidden in him. That's why we need process. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. We're doing a lot of scriptures, guys. Um, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... Freedom, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, so as he appears in you, then you will also appear with him in glory. All right, so set your minds on eternal things. Um, As you take up your cross and follow Jesus, becoming more like him daily, as you're transformed into his likeness by the renewing of your mind, by relationship with the word, who you are truly appears with him in glory. Okay, Matthew 16, 25, if you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. <clears throat> so if you, as you give up your life, Christ appears and you appear with him in glory. Okay. Um, So giving up your life means taking up your cross and choosing to pay a price you don't have to pay, but the result is to attain the spiritual moral resurrection of the dead. So taking up your cross releases resurrection power. Back in Matthew um, 16, 21, in the Amplified, uh, Jesus began telling his disciples he was going to suffer and be killed and be raised from the dead on the third day. Okay, so Jesus gave himself, he denied himself and gave himself in full hope of the resurrection. 
So when we take up our cross, carrying the burden for others, we do so in confident hope that we will attain resurrection from the dead. Okay, and so Philippians 3.10 and 11 in the Amplified gives us a deeper picture of what this resurrection means. It's more than just raising the dead. Okay, so, and this verse is awesome. This is one of my absolute favorite verses. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over, over believers, and that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit and his likeness even to death, in hope that if possible I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me up from, out from among the dead even while in the body. Okay, so the spiritual and moral raising that lifts me out from the dead, even on the body, is it's even now. We'll see his goodness in the land of the living, right? So what is, there's, I'm sure there's something or someone that you know that needs to be raised from the dead. There's some, there might be something that where death is reigning in a person. And by taking up a cross, by paying a price that you don't deserve, but you choose to take it up, you can lead them into that, that resurrection where that place can be raised from the dead where life can be breathed back into it. Okay, Mark 8. This is my last page. You guys still okay? Okay. Mark 8, 34 through 35 says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For my sake and the gospel's sake. So the fourth freedom to be that I want to talk about, this is really short, is freedom to be a witness, okay, to be an effective witness. Okay, so while I was praying one day, um, we were actually praying for you guys, I think, we were back there praying, and I saw this picture, Um, I saw a person walking, and they were dripping water, and as the water hit the ground, um, the water would evaporate, but there was like this splatter of salt that was left on the ground. And so as the person walked, there was this trail of salt and if you were to follow that trail of salt, it would lead to this person. Okay, so that was the picture I saw. So I was praying um, and just kind of thinking about that. And then I thought about those verses, you know, be seasoned with salt. You know, we all know that. Um, so, so let's look at it in Mark 9, 49 through 50. <clears throat> For everyone will be seasoned with fire. This is the New King James, right? Yeah. Everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The NIV and the Amplified says in verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. I had never seen that before for some reason. Salted with fire and seasoned with fire. Okay, so what makes us palatable to the world? Or what makes us savory to the lost? It's the sacrifice. It's the reality of, I know what it is to offer my life. In sacrifice to God out of a position of relationship and trust and I've lived the reality of trials and I've proved the faithfulness of my God and I know what it is to choose God's will above my own so the reality of relationship is often tested in trial for example when, when you know when trouble comes you know who your real friends are because they're probably the ones who are going to stick around um, 
Proverbs 11.2 in the Amplified says, um, when swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also, but with the humble. And I thought this definition of humble was really interesting. Those who are lowly, who've been pruned or chiseled by trial, and who renounce self, are skillful in godly wisdom and soundness. Okay, so this is what separates us from religion. This is what separates us. It's the salting with fire. It's the choosing to take up your cross and, and paying that price, not as punishment, but as an act of love out of your will. <clears throat> Let's see. So I've offered my life as a living sacrifice. I've lived it out. It's more than religious knowledge. It's a reality of a life laid down on the altar. It's continually putting that living sacrifice back on the altar. It's a, practi- a practical act and expression of love. This is what will draw people. This is what makes us savory to people who need Jesus. They're not looking for religion. They're looking for this reality of relationship. So we have to be salted with fire. We have to be salted with the reality of that. <clears throat> So this trail of saltiness along our path will be the drawing direction of the hearts ready for harvest, who are searching for the real thing, for the reality of heaven, for reconciliation to relationship with their creator. Refining fire is for more than our benefit. It includes, it's part of your process. I'm not talking about sickness and stuff, by the way. You know, sickness is not God putting on refining fire on you. I just want to say, anything that was purchased on the cross is not something that, that you have to bear. You can have freedom from that by the cross. Does that make sense? I'm talking about what we had just talked about, you know, choosing to take up someone else's cross out of your will. Does that make sense? You guys all on the same page? Okay. <clears throat> so, so this trail of saltiness along our path, uh, did I read that? Oh, refining fire is for more than our benefit. It's for a greater purpose than our soul's transformation. It includes that. But ultimately, it is for the drawing of people to Christ. They need to see the reality of God in you. And that's going to be you submitting to process. So, when freedom is who you are, you will be free to be significant. You'll be free to be righteous. You'll be free to be fully you and who God designed you to be. And you'll be free to be an effective witness. So, walking in true freedom allows you to live your life in a way that you can willfully lay your life down and truly take up your cross following Jesus. Hallelujah. So, um, I guess everybody stand up. Do you want to? Let's just pray really quick. Um, Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you so much for your example that you, you gave your life for us. That you fully gave yourself. Thank you for paying a price that you didn't have to pay. I'm just going to read this. I feel like I should read this. Um, My price, my price that I could not pay, my impossible price that was only possible in your full obedience to the Father's voice. Your expression of the Father's heart. You did everything right so that you could remove what I didn't do right. You established a covenant of adoption by laying down your life as a son. 
You offered your sinless self as the way to death to cancel my poverty, heal my sickness, and reunite me with the Father who once stood behind the line of my spiritual death. Your expression of the Father's heart permanently restored my perfect relationship with my Creator who loves me and desires to walk with me like he walked with Adam in the garden. His original intent and legal access was purchased back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We do. We just praise you for this. We truly have reason to rejoice, Lord. We truly have reason to praise you, God. And so we do, Lord. We just say that we give ourselves to you. And God, you say that that you're working in us, giving us the, the desire to obey you and the power to do what pleases you. So God, I thank you that even in areas that are so hard... Uh, that you're giving, giving us the desire to obey you. And as we move forward in faith and that desire, that you're going to give us the power to do it. God, I just thank you for this room of, of amazing ladies who are so divinely de- destined for purpose. God, I thank you that, that they are salted with fire. God, I, I just thank you that their lives are a true representation of your beauty in the earth. God, we just worship you for that. And right now, I commission every single lady in this room to be free to be righteous. I commission every lady in this room to be free to be an effective witness. And I commission every lady in this room to be free to be significant. And I commission every lady in this room to be free to be fully, fully themselves and who you created them to be. In Jesus' name. Awesome. Amen. Okay.